And then when I discovered coaching and I realized that coaching reflected everything I stood for, it was about empowerment and about conscious change and people being at choice and possibility. And it was, it was like, it wasn't saying you're broken, let's fix you. It was saying you're phenomenal. What do you want to do? How do you want to get there? Like, it was just everything I needed. And it quickly became very clear that it was everything my kids needed. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, I'd like to read you an excerpt from this lovely review I found on Apple Podcasts from Hannah Montana Bombana in the UK. It's called Thank You for Helping Me Explore Who I Am. Hannah writes, Hi, I just want to start with thank you so much for your content. I've been listening to this podcast since I started suspecting that I might have ADHD after going through a period of cognitive behavioral therapy for depression and anxiety. I'm 32 years old and I finally got my diagnosis yesterday for ADHD and I'm now well and truly on the road with the expertise and help I need thanks to this podcast and all the amazing people who have written reviews and contributed to your content. Each episode has a little part of me in there. So again, thank you from the shores of the UK and thank you from my family and household for helping me understand so I can communicate better with them how I'm feeling. I would like to recommend this podcast to anyone and I've already spoken about it at work and with my friends who I trust. I'm happy to let them in on my journey so far. Thank you for being part of of my journey. Big love, Hannah. And thank you, Hannah, for this lovely review and recommendation. And thank you to everyone who has taken the time to review this little podcast. It really, really helps. Not only it helps me feel good about the work I'm doing each week, but it also helps other women find this podcast and then benefit from these stories as well. If you've been listening to this podcast and you're looking for more expert guidance, support, and resources, come join us in the Women in ADHD online community. The community is moderated by me, as well as licensed therapist and ADHD specialist Jules Edwards. We work really hard to curate a safe, friendly environment away from Facebook where you can find friendship and connection with other ADHD women from around the world. To join us, head to womenandadhd.com, and you can find that link in the show notes. I do want to add that in order to help keep the community safe and trustworthy and friendly, we do charge a small one-time fee to join. However, if you'd like to join us, but the fee is prohibitive, please send me an email and let me know, and you can find that in the show notes as well. Okay, here we are at episode 72, in which I interview Elaine Taylor-Klaus. Author, parent, educator, and certified coach, Elaine is the co-founder of Impact Parents, as well as the Sanity School Behavior Therapy Training Program. She is the author of The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids with ADHD, Anxiety, and More. And she is the co-host of the Parenting with Impact podcast, along with co-founder Diane Dempster. 
Elaine provides training, coaching, and support worldwide, empowering parents to guide their children, teens, and young adults to become independent and successful. We talk about our own experiences with academic expectations growing up, as well as how to break old habits and patterns as parents to neurodivergent kids. And we also talk about the coach approach and the importance of shifting our expectations of ourselves without lowering them as successful women and as parents. ImpactParents.com is an incredible resource for parents. There are tons of free webinars and articles. In fact, there's one coming up February 17th called From Chaos to Calm, Stop Power Struggles with Kids and Teens for Good. And I believe there's still time to register, so I'm going to put that link in the show notes. And if you want your kid to clean up their room, finish their homework, stop talking back, or simply respond well anytime you ask them to do something, then you're going to want the Impact Parents Guide to Motivating Your Complex Kid. It's a great place to start, and you will find a link to that free guide in the episode show notes as well. And I wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. I'll tell you a little bit more about Magic Mind later in the episode, so stay tuned. So, but I will start out asking you about your own, your own ADHD diagnosis. I think you mentioned you were around 40, right? So kind of what was going on in your life? I know a lot of the women I interviewed were diagnosed because their kids were diagnosed. So I'm curious, is that how yep. you came to your diagnosis? Kind um, of. Yes. And what, you know, no. what was going on and when was that? Okay. So, so my story is very similar to what you described, which is, you know, all of my, I, I often say my kids were diagnosed one after the other, like dominoes. And when the third one was not yet, but was clearly going to be diagnosed, I think. Um, I went to one of my doctor, one of my kids' doctors, and I said, could this be me too? Like I looked around, and I'm like, my husband can't be responsible for all of this neurology. There's just, there's just no way. Could this be me too? And, and I really got a pat on the head and a, no, honey, you're just a mom. Mm. And so I, you know, disregarded it and I kept trying to, to function with three complex kids and a complex family and yada, yada. And, um, and I was actually, what prompted it was I was going back to graduate school and I decided once I kind of got my head above water with managing these complex kids, I had discovered coaching, things were starting to turn around. We had had a nutritional change that really changed things in our family as well. Um, and so things were starting to lighten. The load was starting to lighten. And I decided I needed to do something to help other parents that nobody should go through alone what I went through those first 10 years. Because it was, it was horrible. And, and it looked great on the outside, but on the inside, I felt like a, a house of cards. And so I was decided I was going to go back to graduate school. And I, mean, I was trying to find a graduate program that met my schedule with three young kids. So, cause I needed part-time, but I wanted it during the week and not the week. Like I couldn't find it. Um, but so I knew I was on the path to get it to, I was going to go get a PhD or something. And, um, and so I went back and I had myself tested because I was wondering whether I needed accommodations. Mm. I started because I'd done so much advocacy for my kids by this point. What I realized was that in college, like I had made it through prestigious university. I did really well in school, but I burned myself out. And so I went, I, I started trying to figure out why had I only written papers and never taken a test? Like, why did I choose me? Like I didn't choose a major where I could ever have to take a test, even though I love, I would have been fascinated by psychology. I couldn't, couldn't do it. And so I went back and had myself evaluated and I was diagnosed with attention and learning issues at, you know, 40 something years old. 
And like you said, it was like all of a sudden my entire life made sense. Every job I had done, my major, my everything I had done started to, to get clear to me what had happened. Um, so I picked up the phone and I called my mom on the way home and I said, mom, guess what we've got, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and which really, really pissed off my dad for a while. And, um, and then I cried for a few months, you know, because it, as you said, it, it really like rocked my world view of myself because I was a uh, fairly high performing, high achieving, you know, like, so it just, it, something was incon- incongruous. And I mean, this is going back a long time. I didn't know that much about ADHD in those days. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's how it happened. It was kind of a combination of the kids and I really wanted to go to graduate school. I ended up not going because I couldn't find a program that met my schedule. And so I discovered coaching. Somebody sent me to a coaching program. I'm like, okay, I'll do this as a stopgap measure. I'll do this for a year until I can find a graduate program. And the first afternoon I fell in love. I called my husband in tears. and like, this is it. I found it. And um, I hadn't thought about graduate school again until now I'm thinking about it again. But that's a different conversation. That's so funny. You know, I, I have often wanted to go back and do graduate work, but my final year, I actually, I went to university. I'm from Canada. So I didn't, we didn't have any standardized tests, thank God. Uh, <laughs> and um, cause I don't know what I would have done in that situation, but I was terrified to take the GREs. And also, that was my stall. That's right. What, because I did, I went back and I took the GREs. Mm. Once I had the accommodations. Oh, that's see, I I had no idea, but I just remember like my final year of university, I got a job halfway through um, my year because I was working at, wanted to get a, a new work at a newspaper. I got a newspaper job. I got my dream job. So therefore there was no point in going to class at this point. And so I got F's in every class in my last semester, right. um, which brought my, you know, tanked my GPA, but I thought, who cares? Doesn't matter. I've got my job. Why, when am I ever going to think about my, <laughs> my degree ever again, which now looking back, I'm like, yes, the signs were there all along. Yeah. Um, always. But yeah, it's so fascinating. So I sort of figured now, because I've often thought about, you know, I also went through a coaching program, but I also have like really wanted to, I've always sort of toyed with the idea of going back and getting a mental health counselor, um, uh, doing a mental health counselor graduate work. But I'm also kind of like, am I old enough now that they're not going to care about those flunks I got in my 20s? (laughs) And this actually my, so here was my theory. My theory was I'm in my 40s. All I need to do is break a thousand on the GREs and I'll be able to talk my way in. That's what I figured. (laughs) You know, like, I I don't know if I would ever not, but, um, but it was really, it was hard and I really remembered why, like I haven't taken a math class since high school. So it was because I don't have, you know, good facility with my working memory. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I had self-accommodated in college in ways I didn't really understand until later, but literally never took a class that required a test after my freshman year of college. I, I mean, it amazes me that I, I was very lucky because I did not come to ADHD through my children. I came to ADHD through my therapist who has ADHD. Wow. She came to her, her ADHD through her son, but she noticed in me, I've been seeing her for years and she was gently suggesting to me, like, you right. should look into this because she noticed this like wide, you know, chasm between how I was performing and what I was doing 
doing and interested in and, you know, taking on jobs and entrepreneurial manic interest in things. And then my (laughs) self worth, Worth. you know, like my narrative. And she was noticing this great divide. And I thought, well, no, I'm probably bipolar (laughs) because I would have, you know, I would recognize that, that manic swing of the pendulum, which what I now realize is sort of the, the hyper-focus and then the burnout, you know, phase. Um, but at the time she was like, you should look into ADHD. And I was like, like many women, I was like, now I've been diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I'm not hyper, you know, I can literally spend days on the couch. Um, and so I didn't, and I was diagnosed with and treated for anxiety for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. For many years. And when I got treated for ADHD, it's amazing how much less anxiety there was. And I don't mean that it's gone by any stretch, but so much of the anxiety was, I can't get myself to do what everybody expects me to do. And I expect myself to do makes you anxious, right? What's wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember my daughter who's now, she's now in high school, but when she was in the third grade, she was having a, she was really struggling with, um, uh, this huge project. It was like the first time in her life that she had had a really big project where she had to do a lot of research and then kind of had to then translate this research into sections and paragraphs and essays. Did on you this, say you third know, grade? Third grade. She was doing a, a project <laughs> on Singapore and and so, so she wrong. had done all of this research, but then it was like, okay, now what do we do? What, where do we start? And she just like froze. She couldn't start. And I remember so viscerally at that time, this was long before ADHD, my ADHD diagnosis, before I had any idea what was happening. I, I related so deeply to that paralysis, right? Where I was like, this yeah. is what happened to me in school all the time. I was like, and, and um, you know, uh, Catherine... Ellison, who I interview, as she said, stuck on input, which just like describes my entire academic, right? My my entire academic career, which was like, I loved research. I loved reading. I loved bringing ideas together. But when it came to actually having to like write the essay or have the test, I just was like, like, I just couldn't do it. It I'd get so overwhelmed. And so I was watching my third grader have that same issue. And I remember thinking back then, like I had an undiagnosed learning (laughs) disorder, something was happening and I didn't get the help I needed. Um, But then even then it still took years before I really kind of understood what ADHD was and how it, it, you know, what executive functioning was. And the interweaving of it all, because it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's probably not just ADHD, right? I know it wasn't for me. It wasn't for my kids. And you know, it was all kind of, it was intertwined. So for me, I couldn't take tests, but I could write anything. Mm-hmm. And I really learned to write. So I leaned into that strength and played to that strength because with writing, I didn't have to hold the information in my head. I could write it down. I could capture it right. and then I could use it. So I didn't have to remember it. Whereas with a test, you're supposed to remember stuff. So like I literally ran out of my SATs um, in the middle of the SATs because I was so stressed out and got sick in high school from being so stressed out from test anxiety. Wow. But I could write anything. And so I just gravitated to what worked for me, you know, that's so amazing. In so many ways. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by magic mind, the world's first productivity drink. 
Magic Mind was created by James Bashara, a Silicon Valley investor and entrepreneur who ended up in the ER with a heart condition brought on by the combination of stress and caffeine. He started researching natural alternatives, teamed up with scientists and medical professionals, and he created the Magic Mind drink and wrote the book Beyond Coffee. I personally really like the taste, and it's a nice little shot of energy to keep me focused throughout the day without any of that jittery, agitated feeling I get from too much coffee. Beyond just energy and focus, it has ingredients to help you stress less, reduce brain fog, and stay on task. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. And make sure to enter the code ADHD at checkout. Again, that's magicmind.co slash womenADHD, and you can find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Um, okay. So you discovered coaching, which is great. And I love that. Um, I love that story too, of, of the, you know, sort of that, the, the subtle difference between coaching and therapy and kind of, you know, exploring well, that therapy. I, I, in those days, I thought therapy is established. It's, you know, it's a credential. It's I, you know, I, I grew up in what I call the achievement elite, mm-hmm. right. You know, you're expected to go to college, you're expected to get a graduate degree. Um, and I always, thought I would get a graduate degree. I didn't expect to burn myself out in college. Um, and so for me, the gold standard was a, was an academic degree. That's what you had to do. And then when I discovered coaching and I realized that coaching reflected everything I stood for, it was about empowerment and about conscious change and people being at choice and possibility. And it was, it was like, it wasn't saying you're broken. Let's fix you. It was saying you're phenomenal. What do you want to do? How do you want to get there? Like it was just everything I needed. And it quickly became very clear that it was everything my kids needed, that my kids needed me to stop looking at that performance paradigm that says, well, you're struggling in math. So we need to get you a math tutor. And they needed me to start saying, look how gifted you are in storytelling or in math or whatever it is. Let's play to that. Let's really enhance that. And then, oh, by the way, we'll get you some support in math. Don't worry about that. Nobody has to be great at everything. And that's the shift. 
And it was, it was profoundly impactful, impactful for me and for my kids. And within a couple of years, my husband came on board and he actually became a coach too. Um, and then a couple of years later, I asked him, you know, what changed, what happened? You know, he said, I just couldn't deny anymore that what you were doing was working. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was, and I wasn't coaching my kids. I was just changing my approach to how I communicated with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I feel like I've talked about this on in other interviews um, in the past. But you know, one thing that I really think a lot about, we, as we do, you know, going sort of over our life through with this fine tooth comb and and looking at all these ways in which uh, we could have, you know, the grief about like the signs were there. Why was nobody noticing? And so I am the youngest. I have two older brothers who were very, did very well academically, uh, Ivy League scholarships. And I started struggling in middle school and just never recovered. So I had a very dismal uh, academic career and, and had a lot of F's in high school, you know, barely got, you barely graduated, had to redo my senior year, a lot of that. So I really struggled. And I remember my parents always saying like, well, we can't all have, you know, all of our kids can't be A students. You're just, you know, you're the one who has the street smarts, not the book smarts. Right. And they were like very quick to kind of label. And, and they always had this joke where they were, I was in the gifted program also, not right, surprisingly. It's not like you weren't smart, smart right? <laughs> right. And I, you know, and I, I like two E kids, I sort of had that feeling of like, they're going to, they're going to kick me out any they're moment. Gonna right? out. They're going to find me yes. out. And why, have they, I was sure why haven't they, they kicked me out, out yet? Right. Yeah. And so, so my parents would always joke about the fact that they were like, of our three kids, you have the highest IQ, but look at you, like you're a hot mess, <laughs> right? Isn't this funny? And so for them, like, I, I see the way in which they like kind of labeled their three children. Right. Yes. Um, and, and now looking back, I think that that was actually quite damaging. Like, I feel like I needed help and to just, I think in, in at the time, I think they did the best that they could, obviously. And they were really trying to say, look, academics are not important to us. We don't care. Like, we just want you to be good at something that, that moves that you. you. And I think, yeah. like, I think, you know, looking back at my life, that's really mattered. Um, but in terms of like my self-worth uh, and in terms of my sense of intelligence. Yeah. I really struggled with that because I did so poorly in academia. And, um, so I think about that with my kids now all the time. I have a a 15 year old and, um, a 10 year old. So, so a ninth grader and a fifth grader and, you know, like, I don't know, like rather than thinking, um, you know, with my son, especially my fifth grader, you know, I'm like, I don't know whether, which approach to take. Because on the one hand, I feel like I don't want to be the parent who says you have to get all A's. My daughter gets all A's. It's very easy to her. With my son, he really is very interest driven. And so, you know, I know that he can do well uh, in some of these subjects. And I know that it would be important to him to do well, like in terms of his sense of self. But at the same time, I think about what my parents did and how like that didn't work either. And so I'm always sort of feeling like, you know, that, um, that sense, you know, that, that questioning of like, am I going to screw up with my kid? Well, I I am. No problem. No question. (laughs) Good parenting is damage control. Just did that podcast episode. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, 
but again, sort of feeling like, how would I, you know, so much of parenting is kind of like, how do I redo my own childhood? Right. And I think that can be, I think it has pros and cons. I think it's, it's a huge part of the work that I do actually is, and I've, I've become aware of this in the last few years of how many parents I work with who are trying to change the paradigm, break the cycle, figure out how do I, how do I not dishonor what my parents did or let go of what my parents did, depending on what that was, and still be the parent this kid needs. You know, like exactly what you're speaking to. And as you we were talking, two, two thoughts came up. One was that same experience I had of, um, I thought I was probably, everybody kept telling me I was smart, but they were probably wrong um, because it was so hard for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in eighth grade, I even asked my mom, I, I said, I think I'm going crazy. And I need some help. And so my mom took me to this therapist and I sat across the big brown table from this old white guy who after an hour looked at my mother and said, she's fine. And they sent me on my way. And that was it. Right. I did. I had asked, like, I knew there was something and I just didn't know how to label it. My mom tried. She was told professionally I'm fine. And so we went on, but that nagging feeling of, they think I'm smart, but they just don't know the truth yet. It was always there all the way along into mm-hmm. college and through college. So when my kids came along and my eldest was brilliant and really struggled with school, like super, super difficult struggle. And I probably made a lot of the same mistakes you've spoken to um, that are now becoming, beginning to surface now in those first 10 years. Um, but what I used to say to them was, you're going to be an amazing adult and we just got to get you there. And being a kid is hard and being a teenager is really hard. And we're going to get you there because you're going to be an amazing adult. And, and when I work with parents now, the conversation, the way I began to shift it, the difference between my eldest and my youngest is about six, seven years. And by the time my youngest was coming up into elementary years, I was a coach and I was doing this work. And so the difference of, of their self-concept is quite, quite vivid, right? And with the youngest, I started the conversations like, well, what's important to you about your education? And, you know, how do you see yourself? And instead of, man, you know, you're getting C's in this and, you know, you could be doing a work, I would say things like, well, how important is it to you? And which classes do you think you should, you, you want to be doing well in? And, and I really took that coach approach so that, um, when he owns it, he really owns it. And when he knows he's got to do the work, he's just like, he was not going to get A's in, in chemistry in high school, even though he probably could have because he just didn't care enough. But getting him to buy in to do it at all for his own benefit, that was an accomplishment, right? So that's that was how I dealt with it later. I did not do it as well earlier mm-hmm. <laughs> as I did later. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I talk, we talk about that a lot. My husband and I have sort of, you know, his, his albatross with my daughter, especially is her, is her messy room. And it, you know, it's there, it's, (laughs) it's what is going to tear them apart. I mean, it's, you know, exactly. Well, that's, you want to know what our rule was? (laughs) You can share this with your husband. Our rule was this. If you would like me to say goodnight to you or to wake you up in the morning, you will clear a path between the door and the bed so that I don't kill myself. 
Well, that's what that he says it. to me. He says, have you seen her room? And I'm like, no, of course not. I don't go in there. Why I'm would not, you go in there? Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> uh, but we talk a lot about the why, right? Which is, you know, she, she, both of my children have to like really understand the why behind any task. And it's our job to help them find that, you know, it might be self-evident. Uh, it's their in why. Adulthood. Right, exactly. Not your why. Right. right? And that's and, the shift. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think about that a lot uh, in terms of, you know, trying to under, trying to explain to my husband that things are not necessarily self-evident <laughs> in childhood, right? Uh, and especially with neurodivergent children. Now, that's is he another thing. Neurotypical? He is. Uh, he is. I'll, you know, this is something I I question all the time. I mean, I'm fairly newly diagnosed, so I'm like, you know, I had to go through, and I'm looking through my family tree, and I'm looking at my children. Neither of my children are officially diagnosed. Be, you know, it's been such a crazy pandemic. And, yeah. you know, I, I also feel like neither of them is very stereotypically ADHD in their behaviors. And so I want to be really, really careful when I'm, when they are tested, you know, um, because, you know, they have uh, my, a lot of anxiety, but they really, really want to do well. And that anxiety kind of trumps the hyperactivity <laughs> uh, element of the, you know, uh, the, um, misbehaving in school. I think you just, you have to treat the most, the, the clearest, most presenting factor. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, and sometimes it's anxiety and sometimes it's the ADD and sometimes it's the working, you know, like you have to, you have to deal with what's showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and exactly. I sort of feel like as my understanding of myself grows, it's re, it's affecting my parenting tremendously. Right. And so that's something I know you talk about, which is, uh, you know, getting, <laughs> dealing with your own issues uh, is kind of, you know, the idea that, I guess that idea that you can't pour from an empty cup, but, but well, bringing it toward just understanding what is happening um, as a parent, you can then help them. Yeah, some life. of some of it is that empty cup, right? You got to take care of yourself, self care. You, I know it's 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 not just words; it's so essential. Um, and some of it is you got to do your work. Like a lot of parenting these complex kids, and whether the parents that I'm playing with in my sandbox are neurotypical or not, they're all doing some really deep, difficult work because to parent these kids effectively we have to get ourselves out of the way. And when, when we're trying to deal with their stuff and it's really our stuff, we're not really serving our kids to help them deal with their stuff. So if we're setting, I'm thinking about this one mom um, of an adopted kid and she and she and her husband, single kid, she and her husband are both neurotypical kids, like textbook ADD, 15 year old. And it's, she's doing real work to be, Begin to think about how do you shift your expectations without lowering them? And how do you meet him where he is and empower him to become the kid he has the capacity to be and still hold a bar for his success without setting it so high that he can't hit it? I mean, that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And to do that work, you gotta, you gotta let go of the stuff that you're taking personally and you gotta get out of your own way. And you know, you can't make it be about you as a parent. Like no offense to your husband, but your daughter's room is his issue, not hers, right? And, and in my world, like what, what is important, because it's not an unreasonable value that he wants his daughter to clean her room, but for the sake of what? And what's that conversation look like? And what's it costing him in terms of relationship? And like, that's some heavy work to do. 
right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. That's yeah. It's a conversation we have a lot because I sort of feel like you know his his point of view is. I have the answers and I can show her the answers if only she will listen. And isn't that my job as a parent? And I, my point of view is always, you're already showing her the answers just by modeling this behavior. So when she has her own apartment and it actually becomes important for her to like not get rodents or whatever it is that she needs to look after, she will have had that behavior modeled for her when it becomes necessary. And as they become teenagers, it has to do with how they accept the information, right? So if you mm-hmm. tell somebody, they will, they will consider it. If you ask them in a way that they answer it for themselves, then they will own it and it will be theirs. Mm-hmm. And they will act on it differently than if you tell them. So we always say, ask, don't tell. Because as soon as you tell them, particularly over the age of 12, you've lost them, right? They, they're not listening, really, I mean, you can tell them and they'll nod and they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not going to own it in the same way mm-hmm. as if you involve them in it. Yeah. No, it's so true. I'm just thinking, I'm smiling because I was thinking about, um, I think it was in one of your earlier podcast episodes, which I absolutely love. So I'm so glad you guys are doing that. Thank you. I hope you're having fun with it. It we sounds really like you are. are. <laughs> yeah, we really are. Long overdue. It took years to get to it. Yeah, you know, it's you got other yeah. things on your plate. Uh, but, but yeah, I think you were talking about like books and how, um, you know, you can only read so many books when you're a parent and, and you know, you can get stuck on input, right? Where it's like, yeah. you can start to read books, but really what you need is the handholding. You need, I, you call it a Sherpa, which I love because I use that term all the time in parenting where I'm like carrying everything out from the car. And I was like, I'm basically just a Sherpa. But yeah. You know, and it reminded me of when my daughter was two or three and I read that, the parenting book, How to Talk So Your Kids Will Listen and Listen yes. So Your Kids Will Talk. Great book. Yeah. Um, I don't remember anything from that book, but I do remember, you know, one of the things they emphasized was when your child, you know, you, not to be so quick to answer your child, not to give them the information, but to ask them, what do you think? And I remember like this moment when I, she had asked me a question and I, you know, I don't remember what it was, but she had asked me this question and I was like, well, what do you think? And she just looked at me point blank and was like, I don't know, mom. That's why I'm asking I'm you. Asking you. <laughs> and I just sort of froze because I was like, what comes next? What comes next in the book? I don't remember. Can we, can we hold on? <laughs> but it just reminded me of that, that feeling as a parent often, right? Where you're kind of a deer caught in headlights where you're like, it doesn't matter how many Dr. Sears books you read or anything. Like at the it's end of the yeah. day, you really are just flying by the seat of your pants. And, and you get so much of parenting is sort of trusting your gut and just doing the thing in the moment. Well, and that, that's why I wrote The Essential Guide was because what I wanted was a parenting book for those of us whose kids are not so typical right? That book that, that doesn't tell you what to do, but gives you kind of a mindset. Uh, uh, like I, what I want for parents is like, I've got this, bring it on. Whatever you got, I can handle it. I can swing at it. I can, you know, like I've got this. And I think that comes more with a parenting paradigm, with a framework or an understanding of how do I want to be as a parent rather than when she says this, you say that, or when you do that, like, I think the more tactical you get with suggestions in some ways, the less helpful they can be. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they're not sometimes helpful. I mean, strategies can be really useful, but mostly as parents, parents come to us looking for strategies, right? 
And it's very hard for them to get their head around what we're saying to them, which is, hang on, we promise we'll get you to the strategies, but give us, a, give us a minute to help you understand a framework first. Because if you can understand the framework of empowerment, for lack of a better word, if you can understand, take aim on one thing at a time and don't try to do so many things. If you can get the foundation in place, then you don't have to think at five o'clock when your daughter's asking you a question and the water's boiling over and the, you know, like you, you, you own, it's kind of like, did you ever do yoga? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, when you first start doing yoga, it's very conscious and you breathe in, you pause, exhale. And then over time, after you've been doing it for a while, when something happens, you automatically go to your breath. You just, you use the breath to calm yourself down in your life, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of like that. It's like, what I want is for this co the coach approach for parents to be their their breath their exhale how they approach everything without having to think about it mm -hmm. yeah and i think also one thing that has helped me tremendously since my diagnosis is being able to explain what is happening yes. you know like i've always for me it's always about repair right it's i've never and that's one thing i think i i really I'm grateful for my ADHD, <laughs> you know, which is like rage. Yes, it totally overstimulation. Yes, I had no idea what was happening at the, for years. Uh, now that I have the, you know, the language and the toolbox, it's really helped me to be able to explain to my children what is happening in the moment yeah. when there is the repair. And I, you know, I've never been the kind of parent who's like, because I said so. Um, but just being able to have that language to say like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm really sorry. I went from zero to yelling, but there was, this was the TV, the dog, you know, all this stuff was happening and that is why. And so it's been really helpful for me to have that language personally that I can then, you know, uh, turn and, and explain to them, you know, yeah. why the, the why behind any decisions really. Well, and that's what I love about diagnosis is that for us or for our kids, I'm a big believer in diagnosis because I think it, it gives you an explanation for what's going on that you can then learn to navigate. And without it, what we, what we make up about ourselves or what our kids make up about themselves is a whole lot uglier. You know, they make up their lazy, crazy or stupid when the truth is they're, you know, irritated or irritable or tired or hungry or whatever it is. And when you can, I'm thinking about we had a code word. We have a code word in our family for when someone gets so hungry, they just need to stop and eat, right? It's called broccoli ice cream. Yeah. And we started it really, really young. And they still use it. They're now all young adults. But, but that's this, that noticing, that awareness of, I'm not functioning anymore because I'm hungry. And mm -hmm. that's not helpful for anybody. And I've got to stop now and take care of that. And everybody acknowledges it and honors it. And like, that awareness that you're speaking to is so powerful. It's just understanding yourself just a little bit, that next layer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and sort of, it, it's basically, you're looking for the accommodations that you need in that moment, right? Like, I think that was another thing when I was talking about my son and doing with his schoolwork, you know, and not wanting to pressure him to get all A's, but at the same time, knowing that like, he's capable of the A's. And if he gets the A's, he will feel so much better about himself. And, and, you know, 
and and I used to before my diagnosis because he was he was in very early elementary school, but he was he struggled. He wasn't verbal for a long time. He was always kind of had an IEP and was delayed. Uh, and so I my thinking was always like, well, not all of just like my parents, not all of my kids are going to get straight A's. And now I've really sort of shifted to like, what accommodations do we need? Like, what what do you need to get the A? And like, I don't necessarily. <laughs> It's not about the A. It's not about the A, but I'm again, it's sort of like, what do you need in this moment to be your best self? Well, so here's what comes up as you're saying that. Sometimes (laughs) it's broccoli. Um, I was a client I was working with this week who's got a kid, teenage 13, 14 year old boy, who's got six classes and has really made a lot of progress in the last year, is doing great. And the kids do got four A's and two, you know, barely passing. And the parents were like, Asking the question, I want him to take responsibility for all of his education. I want him to get, you know, he can do straight A's. It's like, okay, let's look at what's really important to him. Clearly, he's got ownership or he wouldn't have those four A's. So what's going on with these other two classes? And so, you know, they were both language arts and history. They're writing. There's all this executive function. Like, as we broke it down to see what was really happening, they can then go back to him and have a conversation to help the kid decide okay, what, what, if I were to get some support or work or whatever, you know, would I be able to, to pull it up to a B? Would, is that important to me? What's the, you know, and so, because the kids got ownership. And so it's not about can he or not. It's about, is it important enough? And what's the, what's the benefit and the cost to him? And even at, even at, you know, 10 years old, I think you can start having those conversations in some way to engage them to a sense of choice about themselves and their education, especially Mm -hmm. in this environment. Yeah, it's been really interesting having the, you know, these last two years of hybrid learning and remote learning. And I don't know, I'm this, I'm sure a lot of parents have had a real window into how their children, um, you know, learn learn (laughs) in a way that we we never were afforded for better, for worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, not necessarily. There was a lot that was terrible about having to suddenly become their teacher and their mother and everything else and housekeeper. But, um, you know, it really gave me such insight into both my children's, you know, like you said, like where where, where the stakes are and what they're interested in. And, and I was thinking about it yesterday. I think that, you know, we've spent two years, I was joking, streaming Netflix and cortisol, right? <laughs> Basically. Um, and for those of you who don't know, cortisol is a stress hormone. So that's basically what we've had for two, for going on two years. And we've got kids with developmental delays that are now being compounded by a universal systemic developmental delay. Because even if they're doing okay in school right now, I mean, we've got kids going off to college, coming home, and they just are not developing as much as t- kids would typically do. They're not getting the same interaction I've got a client who's a college professor who says she's having conversations with, with students she's never had before in all these years because they don't have access to the upperclassmen they usually get to talk to, mm. right? And so same with high school, kids are not getting as much exposure to other kids and older kids. And, and so you've got this kind of systemic developmental delay that's happening on top of these kids who have their own individual developmental delays. And I think it's going to be years before we see that un- unfold a little bit. We see the real Im- impact of it. But but think we're going to have to shift our expectations to meet them for where they are now, not what we thought would typically be developing. There's, right. there's not going to be any alternative, really. 
Right. And to stop, to stop convincing them that they are somehow behind right now. Right. This notion that anyone is behind is, is absurd to me Yeah, because we're all behind or maybe not. Maybe we're not behind anything. Maybe this is right where we are. Right. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. This episode is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. When it comes to maintaining focus and energy throughout the day, I tend to rely heavily on caffeine. But that can backfire when I get over-caffeinated and end up with that jittery, agitated feeling that interferes with my ability to focus and be productive. This is where Magic Mind comes in. Unlike regular energy drinks, Magic Mind contains minimal caffeine, but is loaded up with all natural ingredients like the adaptogens ashwagandha and turmeric, nootropics and matcha, all of which help you keep that focus and motivation throughout the day. As a special offer for listeners of the Women in ADHD podcast, you'll get 20% off your order. Simply head over to magicmind.co slash womenadhd and make sure to enter the code ADHD at checkout. Again, head to magicmind.co slash womenadhd and you'll find that link in the show notes for 20% off your order. So I'm curious about the term complex because, you know, it's not what I've heard. Uh, you know, I talk about neurodivergent or 2E. Um, so how did you come up with the term complex? Because for me, it feels like every child is complex. So like, what is that umbrella? Well, it's because you have complex kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Nothing is easy. Um, um, so the, the, the really simple version is, is kids who struggle with some aspect of life or learning. 
But what happened for me when I started this world was I had one kid with like eight or 10 diagnoses. All of my kids have a minimum of two or three diagnoses, myself included, and my husband. And this, and when, when Diane and I first started, it used to be Impact ADHD before we became Impact Parents. And I kept wanting to branch out because we knew it was never just about ADHD. And parents would come to us and say, well, my kid doesn't have ADHD, so I, I can't use your help. I'm like, yeah, you can, I promise. It's really not about ADHD. It's about... And so when I started doing the research and I realized about 86% of kids with one diagnosis have multiple diagnoses and like, and the term special needs didn't really feel like it applied because when I came up and when my kids were little, special needs still had this otherness stigma to it. And I didn't feel comfortable calling my kids special needs because they didn't have physical disabilities. And, and so I just was looking for something that made more sense because ADHD was just not enough. And, um, and I, I don't know, I just landed on, you know, these are complex and people started responding to it. So when I wrote the most recent book, I, you know, and the publishers wouldn't, weren't, didn't want anything to do with it because it didn't specifically say either ADHD or anxiety or, you know, didn't have interesting because they want to be able to market it clearly. Mm. And so we kind of compromised on the essential guide to raising complex kids with ADHD, anxiety, and more. Right. And so, and I wanted it to be ADHD, anxiety, autism, depression. I wanted to like list out like 30 things. They wouldn't let me do that either. Um, But I, I think that it, what I've often said is if you, if you have a complex kid, you know exactly what I mean. And if you don't, then it's not for you anyway. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah, for sure. Well, and this is something I, I, felt so naive when I received my ADHD diagnosis, because not only did I have the, my therapist kind of handholding me, but I had a very, very knowledgeable, uh, you know, uh, mental health specializing uh, NP who, who, you know, I came to her with all my paperwork in a flurry nice. and she was like, yeah, yeah you had me at hello. <laughs> so, right. Yes. I was not met with any kind of gaslighting or gatekeeping the way I hear other women experiencing, you know, and I mean, granted I was, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. So the, there were a lot of people I was seeing who had no idea that this was ADHD, including myself, but it amazes me how many women are told you're just depressed or you're just anxious. And that medical professionals are not making those connections, you know, between like, you can't, it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from being undiagnosed. Um, and that there is not, you know, it's pathologizing depression and anxiety in this way, I think can be really, um, damaging Damaging. to, to somebody who just feels like these diagnoses are not fitting. There's gotta be something else going on here, et cetera, et cetera. But like, it still is just like, I've lost track of how many (laughs) women are said, well, you know, are are turned away from their, from their doctors because they, you know, they're looking up, they're, they're reading about ADHD. They're feeling like, oh my goodness, this is explaining so much about so many things I have struggled with throughout my entire life. And then going to a doctor and the doctor saying, well, no, no, you've outgrown it or, you know, adults don't right. have ADHD or, you know, you can't possibly have ADHD because you did well in school or like all of these ways in which. Heard them all. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's, here's what I would say is that I think, I think we have to, I would invite us to take a historical view, right? So in 1991, I think it was, Sari Sultan came out with the first book on ADHD and women and changed the landscape. It was, I mean, that was only what, 30 years ago when we said out loud, women can have ADHD. 
And then, you know, I got somebody's been pitching me to be on some podcast. It's like ADHD doesn't exist. Like I am not, I'm not playing this game. And they sent me this video from 1995 and saying it's every bit as accurate as it was then. I'm like, no, in fact, (laughs) there's been a ton of research done in the last 30 years. And, and we know so much more just in the last 10 years, we know so much more than we did. And most of our practitioners don't get this education. Like you and I are super well-informed because we've done a lot of work to get informed, but most of our practitioners, and and I'm not dismissing them for it, it it either wasn't part of their education or they were educated before. Like I, I had a medical student who called me this year in the last couple of months and she said, I am seeing so much ADHD in this, in this population. I'm working in a clinic. She's, she's in a residential community in Florida And she said, these parents need something and nobody's getting it. And it's not in my med school curriculum. Will you do a webinar for my medical school class? Because nobody's teaching it. So Mm -hmm. the doctors aren't getting it and the therapists aren't getting it. And the like, so, or they didn't get it. I'm hopeful that they're going to start getting it in in the coming years, but it takes 20 years for research to get into practice. Yeah. And so we're kind of caught in this stage right now. Well, and I, you know, it's also fascinating too, because I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of question around why has there been such an increase in diagnoses since the pan, the beginning of the pandemic. Right. And I'm always asking that question too, to right. <laughs> Which Parents is like, are seeing it. yeah, well, and I mean, I had an emotional breakdown. That's what happened to me. I mean, my kids were home. My husband was home. I was remote learning. I was the housekeeper. All of a sudden I couldn't do my own job. I was basically just sitting there waiting for the next crisis to happen on zoom. (laughs) And I just, I was miserable. And, and, you know, that's where I realized, okay, I can't, I can't do any, like I couldn't even, you know, it had all come to a head. And so I've spoken to many mothers, especially who came to their ADHD through, you know, just that the house of cards, just blowing right off the table after the pandemic. Yeah. And that that third kid put me over the edge. Right. Exactly. So there's always, (laughs) yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, and same with like, I having a baby and like realizing now how, how much I struggled with, with what was just labeled postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. But now I'm like, Oh no, it was lack of sleep and crying and all of the other stuff and hormones. And, um, well, and I think I could handle it. I accommodated for myself when it was just me. Mm-hmm. when I was only responsible for me and I could work more hours if that's what it took. And I could do whatever I needed to do to manage my life, to make, to be successful for myself in my life. It wasn't until I had kids that I needed, that there was this different level of accountability and I could no longer just accommodate for myself because there were other parameters I had to hit. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. You know, so it's funny to me because I feel like here is this, you know, this, diagnosis that is that is uh, misunderstood in women and then at the same time you're also hearing the dismissive like oh everybody has ADHD right now it's so trendy ADHD is overdiagnosed and <laughs> and it's like you, you're going back and forth between these two ways in which you realize like it's just bringing to the fore how much women are dismissed, dismissed. And, right and how much gaslighting there is around struggle as a woman right and how much that you know we internalize all of that messages of like well you just can't get your shit together you know you just got to keep keep trying or whatever it is right um that we've been we've been hearing our whole lives 
so so many things I want to say. <laughs> she just said so many things. But this this notion that somehow that that somehow we as women should should just be able to handle everything that comes and that we shouldn't have any struggle. And if we did, there's something wrong with us because we're struggling. It's just it's that in and of itself is pathological, right? That's just so so wrong on so many levels. And I and I just feel like we buy into it. We've all bought into it on some level. This notion that we're supposed to be good girls, pleasers, perfect, make it work for everybody else. And, um, you know, we, we turn out to be just as human as everybody else, you know, just as, as um, riddled with, with challenges and foibles and capacity to do great things and also to struggle through it. And, and, we need each other to support each other in it because it's not going to just be handed. We have to, we have to really, we have to ask for what we want. We have to, to do it without apology. Um, I think you were talking about this whole, the stigma around ADHD. And one of the things I've really noticed in the last 10 years is as we've seen the autism movement rise to the surface so profoundly in the last 20 years when you look at those two diagnoses side by side from a public perspective, public perception perspective, right? You've got one that's a diagnosis of stigma and shame and judgment. You have another that started off as shame and and has morphed to a diagnosis of concern and care. And, you know, I don't need to tell you which is which, we are still stuck in stigma and shame around ADHD. And I have a mom who has a kid with, who's diagnosed with several issues on the spectrum. Kid has now, is now come out as trans. She said she's getting so much more support from her community for the kid coming out as trans than she ever did with the kid because of the ADHD. Really? Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and so we've got this, this stigma around it that's compounding it doesn't matter because like there's all this good research on whether it's overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed or overmedicated or undermedicated. And we're beginning to see that it's, it's the, the quote overmedication is not quite the problem we thought it was in quite the same way. But I think it's because we're still allowing that stigma to, to dominate the conversation. And as a parent, it's still an ADHD diagnosis still comes out as well. If they, if you would just discipline them, there wouldn't be a problem. Whereas you look at something like an autism diagnosis or a learning disability diagnosis, like, Oh, we can help you with that. We could do something about that mm-hmm. because it's more learnable, right? It's more yeah. skill-based repair, if you will. Well, and that's what I love so much about Sari Solden's work too, is that, you know, rather than focusing on here's how we're going to fix everything, she's like, let's, let's deal with the internalized stigma and the messages that have been told to us our entire lives and just blow the roof off of those, because that's that's really what is happening here, which is like, we believe I, if I could just do the thing, you know, everything would be fine. Like we have internalized those messages and we need to like stop thinking 
that that is true, you know, and really just being like, of course, you don't want to do the dishes. Who wants to do the dishes? <laughs> you know, like all of these ways in which. <laughs> or what we, is it about the dishes you want right? to do? Yeah. Like, I mean, want they to still have to get more. done. Yeah. But they still have to get done. But at least giving yourself permission to not be a domestic goddess or to be all right. of the things. Right. Which brings yeah. us back to that emphasis on consistency with grades. Right. <laughs> but that's it's, a whole other connected. topic. I know. Well, right? And, and I, I don't want to leave this conversation without without also plugging um, Michelle and Sari's workbook that they came out with a couple of years ago. Yes, Because absolutely. it's the Radical Women's Guide, I guess is what it's called. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's a fabulous, a fabulous way for women to begin to re, to deal with some of those demons and readjust, readdress the assumptions. Positive intelligence is another great way to do that. We teach, we don't teach it. We, we run the positive intelligence program in our community several times a year so that parents can really challenge the saboteur voices that we all have, right? Oh my goodness. Uh, I can't believe how time has flown. I feel like I have so much I still want to ask you. I do, I do always ask my guests if you could rename ADHD to something else, would you, would you call it something else, which I have no answer for. (laughs) There's so many things I would call it. So many, I, I don't have a pithy name. Now I will, I will come up with one at some point, but, um, I, almost anything would be better than attention deficit <laughs> disorder, except for what it was before that, which was minimal brain dysfunction. So that one was pretty bad too. So, you know, relatively speaking from a historical perspective, it's better. Um, now I, I don't, I think we, it's not about deficit. It's, it's a self-regulation. It's a brain regulation condition. Um, you know, I liked the work early on. Tom Hartman used to do some work on that whole hunter-gatherer versus the 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 farmer, yeah. right? And and there's something about the way that we're wired that is um, exciting and interesting and creative and can be challenging in typical society. But I, I think we should call ourselves the stimulation seekers. Mm, That's what I'm yeah, going to land on I like today. That one. <laughs> I like alliteration too. Always a fan. Um, yeah. Speaking of alliteration, speaking. let's talk about, um, we didn't get to talk too much about impact parents, but I will definitely put a link to it. I'll talk about it in the introduction because I know um, I really want to hype your fantastic podcast and all the work you're doing and the books. That, and um, But uh, uh, Sanity School, is that something that's still going on? I was going to say, can, I, let's, can we just talk real quick about Sanity School? Yeah, I want to hear what really... you and Diane are doing for, uh, for 2022 and how, how people can find you and get more of you. So thank you. So, so, you know, Impact Parents will give you a, a free download to, to put in the show notes so that people oh, can, can come get some free, free stuff because we do a lot of free stuff. I'd say about 95% of what we do is free. And then, you know, we use fee-based programs to pay for all of the free stuff that we do. Um, and, and even in that, we, we really, our value is that we know that it's effective. So we want to make it affordable and accessible. So everything we do, we make that effort. Um, and, and so what we do is a combination of coaching, training, and support. And we the, the secret to what we do is we're actually teaching coaching skills. So we Sanity School is a foundational training. It's a behavior therapy training program for parents, which is recommended treatment for kids with ADHD and other executive function issues. And so the treatment recommendation is that if the kid has the issue, actually the parent's the one that needs the training because the parent's the one that's creating the environment and, and setting the expectations and empowering the positive and positivity, et cetera. 
So um, Sanity School is a six-class course that's a training in this coach approach to behavior management, basically. And um, we'd been together, working together for about five years when we realized we were doing all this coaching and our parents in our community needed a basic training. And so we created Sanity School in 2015 as a way to provide that foundation to save time and money so they could get the training and then use it in the coaching. Um, and so it's available always on demand and then we teach it every so often as well. Um, but when you get it on demand, you, it comes with three months of support and access to us and all kinds of in a community. So it's not as passive as it, as it sounds like it is. Um, but it, it is, to me, it's like the best thing that any parent can do if your kid's diagnosed with anything or you think they're going to be because it helps you get your head around it right? It sounds set that framework for how do I parent this kid before you start getting into this, to the details of it, because the details are going to be important, Mm -hmm. but getting your head in the game first, I think it's really powerful. So that's what Sanity School is about. And then what we're doing this year, last year in in the pandemic, we started offering short courses. So we're now doing a series of four week courses and we, we have some coaches we've trained and brought onto our, into our community. And so they're going to be offering some this year. So so that for parents who want a live experience, but don't want a long-term commitment, we do have, you know, long-term coaching groups, but people can come in for a month at a time and get some support, which has been really great. And so that's all under the umbrella of the, of the online community. Which... Everything. Yeah. Everything. It, it, it impact parents. There's a programs page and everything one way or another. And then, you know, as I say, there's lots of free webinars and free ways to, to get in and get a sense of what we do, but in terms of programming, it's it's a combination of training and coaching, basically. And then everything has a support component. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We love what we do. We feel really lucky. <laughs> we do. I know it is it is incredible. I've learned so much about how I learn too, which I think has been really interesting since my diagnosis because I had such you know, I, I had such self-esteem issues when it came to my own intelligence because I performed so dismally in academia. Right. And so it's been really interesting to, for me to, under, to be able to kind of be okay with how I learn. And I think for so many of us, how we learn about our ADHD is through conversation and, and through shared lived experience. And it's not necessarily going to be found in the DSM or even, you know, it's, it's by sharing and realizing, Oh, I'm not the only one. There's other people. This is incredible. And, and what we really pay attention to is to make sure that it's multimodal so that, you know, that you can watch it or you can listen to it or you can read it or you can talk about it or you can like now we've started discussion groups like like it doesn't matter what your mode of learning and and processing is you should be able to do it and so everything that we do we try to design it so that however you process information we can get you to we can help you process the information right because there's no stigma that you should be able to do it a certain way it just doesn't work that way and Diane and I process very differently. So that helps a lot. Uh, yeah. I di- actually didn't know that Diane did not have ADHD until I heard that in your podcast. I was like, oh, interesting. No. Uh, because for me, I'm sort of, that's the other thing. I'm so immersed in it. I'm like, doesn't everybody, everybody who's interesting have, have ADHD? <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I was so excited to hear your personal story and your journey, but I also feel like I eked out some free parenting <laughs> advice. So I couldn't help it. Um, but really appreciate your perspective and what you and Thank Diane you. are doing for, for parents. And as you, you know, if you know, you know, when it comes to the term complex <laughs> children, right? 
you're like, you don't really have to ask, but the publisher had to ask. So, you know, what can I do? Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. And if we can support you, just let us know. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.